Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! This is the Olive Magazine podcast, a weekly roundup of food and drink chat brought to you by the team behind Olive Magazine. I'm Janine, Olive's food director, and I'll be hosting this episode. This week, we have a specially extended chat with one of our regular contributors, Ed Kimber, aka The Boy Who Bakes. He's created some incredible chocolate recipes for our February issues, so we get to chat about the inspiration behind those, as well as discussing the current baking scene in New York, Paris, and Tokyo. And we also get some expert tips on working with chocolate. Let's hear from Ed. Hi, Ed. Welcome to the Olive Magazine podcast. Thank you very much. How are you? I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we've got you in today because uh, we've got a brilliant new feature in the February issue, yeah. which is your chocolate recipes. Cover star. Cover star, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that amazing cake we've got on the cover, which is the chocolate and passion fruit. Thankfully, the one on the cover is not the one that I dropped on the floor. <laughs> it's the one that managed oh, yeah, to okay. survive. <laughs> yeah, it was, um, we, had a, we had a moment on the shoot where Ed had made two cakes mm-hmm. and one of them... One of them managed to escape the freezer. I put it in the freezer to chill before we glazed it. And I just heard this bang, the door opened, the cake fell on the floor. Yeah. And we all sworn. stood there. Yeah, we all kind of stood there for five minutes with our mouths open going. We did shoot right? it though. Be all right. We did try and shoot. We glazed it, shot it. And it, it looked, looked terrible. awful. And everyone was like, yeah, it's fine. And they were like, I do have another one. Oh, yeah, let's shoot that one then. Everyone's very like, yeah, okay, well, let's just pretend it's fine. This is why you're the prep king, though, because <laughs> you God. actually did have another one in also, a box. Like, that cake's not necessarily difficult, but it does take quite a bit of time. Yeah. So if I'd had to make that whole thing again from scratch, it would not have been shot that day. No, we wouldn't no have done way. it that day. So yeah, thank God I shot another one. But the feature is quite an interesting one mm. because it's um, it's inspired by your travels. I think last year you well, you got you got around a bit, didn't you? <laughs> were you ever in the UK? I yeah, was texting a friend of mine last night uh, to meet up for drinks, and he was saying, because I was saying, Oh, I'm going away. I'm going to America in two weeks. He's like, again, you always seem to be away. I'm like, what are you on about? And then I realized, oh no, I was away quite a bit last year. Yeah. But a lot of that was for work. Um, but yeah, the recipes are kind of, in my mind, were half inspired by travel yeah. to New York, Paris, and um, Tokyo. 
and the other half was kind of uh, chocolate flavor pairings. Everything's yeah. kind of chocolate with something. Because mm. um, chocolate's like one of those enduring things, isn't mm-hmm. it? I mean, in, especially in bacon, it's ne- you're always going to have a chocolate thing on the yeah. menu in a, in a bakery. There's oh, always going to be something because it just, you know, because it's the classic. Well, it's incredibly flexible. Uh, you can basically never run out of ideas for it. I yeah. mean, I could write two or three books purely on recipes for chocolate just because yeah. it's possibly my favourite ingredient to work with. Yeah. I think it's it has the most potential and every, I mean if someone doesn't like chocolate you have to wonder what's wrong with them because <laughs> there's something definitely wrong with them because chocolate is the best. So yeah. I think it's meant to hit that kind of dopamine it, it, it does meant thing to in your brain isn't it? In your brain, yeah. yeah. Um, which is fine I'm sure it is uh, but it's just damn tasty yeah. so um, yeah it's just one of those things that's just so easy to work with yeah. or for someone like me it's a joy to work with it has yeah. its trickiness but I love 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 working with it so tell us about the different scenes like let's let's start with like New York because mm-hmm. um, I've been to New York a few times mm. and um, I'm always amazed at like the turnover of ideas yeah. and like the oh, things yeah. that like pop up on Instagram <laughs> yeah. every month will be a hot new place to go and yeah. not even every month every day every yeah, week yeah, yeah. basically well I think New York has a, a similar feel in some ways to London in that there isn't necessarily like a local baking style of their yeah. own it's more of a, a hodgepodge like a melting pot of yeah. things from all over the place so you know you can be on one street and go to a matcha themed place that will serve you like all different types of soft serve um, with matcha and then you can go to a, um, you know like a, an American bakery down the street that serves cupcakes and layer cakes and all those kind of yeah. things um, but then you can also get basically any style of baking you want in that city which is what I really love about yeah. it um, but you, you're right in that it, things turn over there so so quickly so um, I was there in November I think and uh, one of the places that I went to was this amazing bakery called Supermoon. Yeah. And um, do you know the place in San Francisco called Mr. Holmes? So um, it was really like, it was all over Instagram. What was it? Um, basically, they kind of uh, became famous for doing cruffins, you know, the... Oh, yeah, uh, the cruffins. So not cruffins. They... Yeah, oh. cruffins. Yeah, cruffins, the, the muffin cro- ones. The, the croissant muffin Yeah, and they're really hybrid. good. I actually prefer them more to um, the cronut because it's not fried, so it yeah. lasts longer. So did they, so they invented they the cruffin? They didn't invent it, I don't think. I think actually the people who invented it technically is a bakery in uh, Melbourne called... Oh, right. going to forget the name, but I'm pretty sure they invented it. But they were like the first place in America to really become known for it. Yeah. And the guy who set it up, the head baker, he left under a bit of a cloud... And people don't really know why he left. Um, But he then moved to New York and he set up this new place called Supermoon. And it's incredible. Um, They're all about the croissant, so and laminated pastry. Wow. And I think that's really having a huge moment over there at the moment. Um, So they're moving more into that kind of very particular fine... Because it it is, I mean, it's hard. Oh, really hard. That's the hard end of bacon, isn't it? But that's basically all the things they sell. So they sell a donut. And then like five, six variations on the croissant dough. Yeah. So they do a cruffin, they do amazing croissants, but their croissants are that kind of new trend where it's coloured. So they add a layer of coloured dough to the top of the croissant dough. Oh. So when they roll it, it's kind of, they call it a bicolour croissant. So you have the classic kind of golden colour. Yeah. And then these stripes of really beautiful colour. But then they fill them according to that colour. So you'll have like, um, oh sorry, the other way around really. They colour it according to the filling. Right. And so they'll have like an amazing pistachio and rose one. Yeah. They do uh, like an um, everything bagel croissant that's filled with locks and cream cheese ah. and all those things. So it's not like that horrible rainbow bagel thing no, that happened. No, it's much with more that subtle really, than yeah, that. That's and nice. it, it, it's still, 
whilst it's really colourful, it's way more elegant than that because yeah. I hated those. Um, bagels yeah, they were just horrible. <laughs> um, but yeah, New York is definitely kind of. I think it's one of the places that leads trends a lot. Yeah, I don't think London leads them as much in terms of baking. I think we have an amazing baking scene, but not in the same kind of trend kind of way. I think like Paris is good for, with that yeah, as well. Yeah, I, I think New York kind of, they're looking for the new thing and people are looking for the new thing. They're, they're restless, aren't they? They want to be, <laughs> yeah. they want to find it, they want to Instagram it, they want to move on to it. I do think that's a really big thing in New York. I think there's so many, um, probably fads, yeah. and I don't think it necessarily started with um, Dominic Ansel, but that was kind of like a big point in it where yeah. the cronut really started that trend thing. Yeah. Because um, now every day, like you write, something new, something everyone's posting about for a week. Mm. Um, I think it's interesting, but I think I'm actually more interested in the places that are just doing something they love yeah. and they're not just trying to change Just doing it really well. Yeah, yeah, I think it's just like, because some of those places don't get as much press, but they're actually better. I think sometimes those places that are tracing the, chen, uh, the trends aren't necessarily yeah. as interesting. There's a place, I'm going to forget its name, in New York that um, currently does um, a cupcake that has a party popper in it. Um, so it's like you pull the popper and it explodes the cupcake. I'm like, okay, I don't get the point. Cause how do you eat that? How do you okay. eat it? Um, <laughs> or do you just wipe it off your face? <laughs> well, the weird them. thing is, though, they, I found out that they developed that recipe because of an agency. So they had like an ad marketing agency that basically told them what to do to become viral on Instagram. Oh, no. So the first thing they did was make a birthday cake croissant so it's like full of sprinkles and a sprinkle cream yeah and like it looked kind of like trashy pretty yeah um, but it was developed because of Instagram trends and like mm. Mm, I get why you have to do that now like I understand that and I have nothing against it but and they did it because they were making really good stuff but it just wasn't as popular they weren't doing as well as they thought they were going to do mm. um, and I think it's sad that you have to kind of go yeah. to that lens these days but I mean it's, it's interesting to watch you know just yeah. not necessarily my favourite way of finding something. So would somewhere like Paris mm. be, would you, would you think that's a bit more traditional? Because in my head I'm thinking like, you know, all the all the patisseries that have yeah, been yeah, there yeah. for years and they do quite classical. Well, I always think that Paris has, it does have a an influence, a massive influence, yeah. but it's what I think of as like a slower influence. Right. Because I think Parisians, especially patisserie, is slower to change. So yes, they will try things and they will develop things, but it happens over a much longer period right. rather than this instant trend. So mm. things like... Um, um, they really pushed the shoe pastry trend. Like the eclair oh. thing was all because of Paris. Um, but it just took a long time for that to really come to the fore. Like yeah. the guy who opened the really trendy place, um, Eclair de Genie, he opened it um, like four or five years ago now. And then not, maybe not even that long, but before that he was working at uh, Fauchon doing their eclairs and they were amazing and pretty and gorgeous. But it slowly kind yeah. of came to the fore and then everybody started doing it. So there's, there's some, um, I went on a little trip there actually to, to look at different um, places and we went to Fauchon and I think there's, there's, there's big names, isn't there? There's kind of four or five that you would, there's probably more than that, but yeah, there's, that but there's some there. really big ones that you would always like yeah. go to. Like, well, like Fauchon, Pierre Hermé used to be Pierre the head Mermin, of there, yeah. um, back, really back in the day. Um, Christophe Adam, who's now yeah. a legend, like a whole bunch of people have gone through those doors. Um, but yeah, I think they are really good at pushing things, but they're not ones to rush. Right. So you don't necessarily find things uh, really quickly. Yeah. There. But um, it's always interesting to me because I think their trends are often slightly more thought through. Yeah. So it's easier to kind of understand and go, oh, that's not just a gimmick. It seems to be a bit more mm. based in tradition, but pushed forward a little bit for There's sure. also this kind of... Um, 
tradition of like the, they really showcase their patisserie. Like yeah. when you walk in the shop, it's like going into a, a museum or an art gallery. Like the amount of care that goes into presentation. Well, they're slowly trying to change that in a good way, I think, yeah. because. I think sometimes those places can be a little off-putting. Yeah. So yeah, I was I was a little bit scared. Yeah. Well, I remember like back <laughs> not scared, but you you kind of feel like you shouldn't um, be there. You know, like when you not go into a really enough. posh yeah, like a really posh clothes shop, and you're just it's too a pretty woman vibe. Yeah, too scared to <laughs> to touch anything, or yeah. you just feel like I'm an imposter in this. <laughs> well, I think yeah. I think that was probably part. Of that. I think they recognised the issue because I remember years ago, like when I was 18, I'm going into Pierre Hermé for the first time yeah. ever. And I'd never seen anything like it before. I remember trying to take a picture with my uh, camera and being told off. Yeah. Like, no, no pictures, sir. And then slowly they changed those rules to us like, you can take one picture. And now they seem to relax a lot in all of the places. And I think they've realized that actually you can't be that same kind of staid, traditional no. vibe. So a lot of the patisseries, especially the really successful ones are slowly opening new boutiques that have mm. a little bit more relaxed vibe. Yeah. So, um, like, PMA's boutiques have always been very beautiful, very elegant, yeah. and a little bit formal. And his most recent one in the Marais has tried to remove some of that whilst right. keeping the beauty. So it's much more relaxed. There's no, like, technical counter. It's a bit more walk around. The colours are more bright yeah. and it's more airy. And it just feels a little bit more welcoming, almost. Yeah. And I do think that's partly because... Uh, they've realised that patisserie, whilst beautiful, also needs to sell. And I think mm. it's easier when it's a little bit more engaging. So, And I think that's something they've borrowed from other places, okay. um, especially kind of America, where you can do something really pretty and really mm. beautiful and the food's still shone, but it's less restrictive in terms of, like, who you're necessarily attracting. Yeah. Is, there an, is there kind of an area in Paris where there's a lot of the... Uh, it's kind of all over because it's that yeah. cliche of, you know, there's a bakery in every street corner. Of course, yeah. Um, but, I mean, my favourite area really has always been the Marais. The Marais, yeah. Uh, just because I like the vibe there, but baking-wise, they're really good. So yeah. you have, um, you now have a Pierre Hermé that serves everything, not just macarons. You have one of my favourites, which is uh, Jacques Chenin, who serves um, afternoon tea yeah. and amazing chocolates and caramels and all these sorts of things. Um, you have this amazing ice cream shop called uh, Un Glace de Paris, which is an ice cream shop, but they also make cake out of ice cream. Yeah. So it's kind of like the American ice cream cake, but patisserie. Oh, and really? It looks wow. like patisserie, um, but it's actually ice cream. It's insane. It's so beautiful. Um, and it's really, really elegant. It's just very, very different. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like that area a lot just because there is a real mix of things again lots of different styles but do you get to Paris more often because it's closer I mean I know you've been you, how many times did you go no, last year I went a lot last year I did go I was I think I went once uh for pleasure yeah um but then I think I went four times for work yeah um but uh, yeah Paris is one of my favorite places in the world but you can just bob on the Eurostar well, and you're there in a couple of hours to, I love to that to get to Paris than it is to get to my family home so I'm like sorry parents I'm off to Paris <laughs> which they're not happy with but um yeah. I, I do love it I have a lot of friends there I've seen some um people probably know but your Instagram feed <laughs> at the boy who bakes if you want to go on there and just check out Ed's Paris pictures they're absolutely Thanks. you make it look like more Paris than Paris is I mean one of my friends who lives in Paris emailed me the other day and went you know more about Paris than I do where should I go for dinner I'm like, uh, I don't know like ask me for a bakery recommendation yeah. I'm good. ask me for a restaurant I'm like yeah. I'm gonna struggle with that but I, I, I love the place yeah. and I it's always been one of the main places that I pull inspiration yeah. from um yeah. you know my book on patisserie 
you know, it's, I keep calling it my Paris book. I'm like, it's because not it's, Paris. It's, it's not basically Paris. It's all your, your stuff, your influence, your like, a came lot from of that. It comes yeah. from there. Especially when I'm thinking like in traditional French technique, yeah. often I think about Paris a lot. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I love the place. Love it, love it, love it. And so I think, was, was last year the first time you went to Tokyo? Oh my, yeah. Oh, last so, year was the first time I've ever been to anywhere in Asia. Yeah. And I completely fell in love. It was my most, it was the best holiday I've ever, ever had. And I completely fell in love with Tokyo. Tokyo's I, insane though, isn't oh it? Oh my God. Yeah, in, in, a, like, <laughs> like in the best I possible way. I wanted it to be like that. Yeah. I wanted to be... You, you um, won't be dis- I don't think anyone would it. be disappointed. No, if you are, like, <laughs> what did you think you were getting? Like Tokyo was amazing. Yeah. Like, I, I could spend years there and yeah. not feel I've done anywhere near yeah, yeah, yeah. all of it it's intense but amazing I loved and it, it and the, the kind of baking scene there is quite interesting isn't it because oh, they do take a lot of inf- I, I thought um, I know there's a Pierre Hermé there's, there's a lot of there's a, seven of them yeah there's a lot of French houses that yeah. have got their own shops in Tokyo and then you've got the Japanese chefs, uh, patisserie yeah. makers, who are taking a lot of influence oh, from yeah. France as well, well, aren't they? I always joke that if you're in Paris yeah. and you see Japanese people working in a patisserie, it's a good place yeah. for the Japanese rate it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's a, there's a kind of like a dual relationship where there's a lot of French people who've gone over their open shops. Actually, Pierre Hermé opened in um, uh, Japan before he opened in Paris um, oh. because there was a massive market for him over yeah. there. Um but yeah, there's there's that way. But then also there's a lot of Japanese people who've gone to Paris to learn and then gone back and opened up shops. So there's kind yeah. of that dual influence. So you'll actually see a lot of Japanese influence in Paris these days. Like yeah. most, even very French patisseries will have a little bit of uh, Japanese flavour, even if that's just black sesame yeah. or matcha or yuzu. You know, they are So they'll bring that more kind of experimental mm. side. Well, it's interesting because the Japanese technique is very, you know, it's a perfectionist kind it's of perfectionist level. perfectionist as well, yeah, which is, yeah. which is what I found. It's almost oh, it's like... You know, a lot of the places we went to, they'd they'd almost gone to Paris, like learned all this technique, brought it back, and then just done it like a million it times better. Yeah. Actually, one of my friends, who's a pastry chef, says basically the same thing that she thinks you get better patisserie in Japan now than yeah. you do in Paris because that attention to detail is, is huge. And did you go to any of the? Because because one thing that I found about Tokyo was you get these insane. Um, You're gonna say food halls. Yeah, yeah, the food halls. So yeah. it's so it's like a it's like we um, it's like a department store, and then. In the bottom, there's a food hall, and it's like I've some never, of them. I've are, never known anything like it. I, I remember that we went to one. I'm going to forget its name. There was two floors, yeah. And I swear it was bigger than some department stores here. Like yeah, holds the food bit, and it's insane because you can get anything and everything in those places. Square so, watermelons square that cost three hundred pounds. Like yeah, so much money. <laughs> um, but you have uh, the the best ones have two sections, so they have that the supermarket element with yeah. fresh food, which even if you're not buying anything, it's just fascinating. Just to, to walk around. Beautiful to walk oh, around as the well. The most beautiful supermarket you've ever seen, but also the most expensive supermarket yeah. you've ever seen. But then they also have the kind of traditional like food hall, food hall, where you can get either hot things or baking or yeah, all that kind of stuff. So good. But they are amazing. Half the time we got all our meals from there because yeah. it was so amazing. But I remember there was there was one in Tokyo, and we were. They love chiffon cakes in Japan. So those super light, airy cakes. They right. love them. Is that the one where you... It's like a whisked, yeah, whisked it's sponge, a whisk sponge, like a genoise? It's or... like a genoise, but um, I'm going to get this wrong probably. Chiffon's the one made with oil. Yes, I um, think that's and right. White, so and it gives you that really particular um, light, like the yeah. texture's like it's air, insane. isn't it? Like it's cloudy. It's so amazing. Yeah. But it's the one you have to um, cool upside down. Otherwise, it yeah. will collapse. Oh. Um, we went into this uh, food hall and there was this... 
orange kind of chiffon cake and we obviously couldn't read the language and couldn't quite figure out what it was meant to be flavor wise yeah but we were looking at it quite intently clearly and the woman, <laughs> the woman said you should try and she opened this massive plastic bucket and it had kind of all the scraps of the cake in it and she just Ooh. went kind of gave us some <laughs> and me and mike bucket my, of oh, scraps oh, you make it sound so good. <laughs> i'll buy the i'll buy the bucket um, me and Mike, my other half, we were like looking at each other going, oh my God, this is amazing. Couldn't quite figure out what the flavor was. And then it hit me. I'm like, oh my God, this is maple. So I think it was made with maple Aww. syrup, maple sugar or something. It was the most incredibly flavored thing ever. And every other de- uh, department store, we looked, if they had the stands, we could have another sample. It's yeah. so good. But just the baking on offer there, it ranges from the French to the American to the very traditional Japanese yeah. um, sweets. Um, like you can go to one of the ones in Tokyo, one of the famous ones, and um, one of my friends in New York runs a bakery called Baked, and they're based out of. Um, they have one in uh, um, Brooklyn, yeah, and one in it's in Manhattan. I'm going to forget the area, um, but they've now opened a little shop in Tokyo, and they're like they sell cupcakes wow. and will be pies, and you know they love baking from other yeah. places. And I think again, that's one of the things that I love about them. Because sometimes they'll take that idea and then do it their own way. Yeah. So on our very, very last day in Japan, um, we were back in Tokyo to get our flight and we went to this bakery. And it was the most amazing, amazing bakery. It was tiny looking. Everything they did was just elevated to such a degree. Um, I became obsessed with this thing called curry pan, which is my favorite thing of all time Curry, now. Curry pan? Curry pan. It's okay. a donut. So it's, it's like a bread dough, like a normal bread dough. And you form it into like a donut and you fill it with like a curry. Um, like a sweet curry? Kind of. It's not, it's not a sweet donut. It's a savory thing. Oh, okay. Um, but, you know, Japanese curry is quite sweet anyway. So I like the, the sound of that, like curry sandwich. It was effectively <laughs> like a fried curry sandwich. So it's covered in mm. uh, panko and then fried and they're incredible. Wow. And most of the ones we tried, because I, I tried a lot, okay. uh, <laughs> were slightly on the sweet side because Japanese curry often tends to be quite sweet. Yeah, that's sweet. sort of sweet. Yeah. yeah. And so sometimes it was a bit too sweet and not yeah. the best, but... This one was much more like um, a kima inside. And yeah. It was incredible. Um, and I think this one was baked and not fried. And it was just so good. And they took like kind of those Japanese things and did them just a little bit more elevated yeah. than some other places. And they, it was just like, we sat there going, why did we find this on our last day? We want to come back. Every how did day. you find the places? I mean, how did... <laughs> difficult. Um, oh, yeah, because there's no street signs, is there, in Tokyo? That's, well, that's one thing I found out when Tokyo. I was in no. It works a bit, but it's not very accurate. You can sometimes find a policeman in a little white hut well, who will show really you. really helpful. Yeah, definitely. this is so, so that helpful. That stereotype is true. We were stood in the uh, tube system, the metro system, one day, and we literally looked at my phone for like a <laughs> second to look at a map, and this really old Japanese guy came over. Couldn't speak a word of English, no. but there was a lot of pointing involved. Yeah. And it was, you know, they're, they're really wanting to help you i found that when i was there somebody said if you stand still long yeah. enough and look confused yeah. someone will come and help you Definitely. and even if they can't speak english they'll go and find someone who yeah. can yeah, yeah it was and super like, friendly yeah um, but actually though that place on the last day uh actually came through recommendation so oh, right i think i must have tweeted something and a whole bunch of people told me the best places yeah and one of them turned out to be not very good but this place turned out to be amazing um but I think for Japan especially, you have to do a lot of research because there's so much. Yeah. You know, there, I think there are more bakeries probably in Tokyo than there is in Paris times yeah, two or I'd three. Imagine. It's insane. Yeah. You know, uh, metro stations, tube stations have huge food sections. Mm. A lot of them do. So you can go to Tokyo Station, which is just um, 
mammoth warren of a tube station mm. and it has like a huge food section underneath yeah. so big that we actually put our luggage in a locker for a, a while where we had lunch yeah. and lost it we could not find it we walked around the station for an hour <laughs> trying to find where we'd left it um, but in there there were so many food options there was a whole street because they've got there. like different floors haven't oh, they like yeah, four, like four floors the station. Yeah, yeah, yeah. imagine going to Oxford Street and then finding 400 places to eat underneath I went because um, I, I was there on my own but I, I had a couple of people helping me guiding me yeah. and um, there was one day when I, I had a recommendation to go and eat noodles in Tokyo train station yeah. and they said it's the best place it's to Barman go called Street yeah oh right it's yeah, amazing yeah, yeah. Yeah. so that's where I went there what told off on my own went there <laughs> well it's um, a really good place because you have Ramen Street has kind of satellite shops yeah. of ramen shops from all over Tokyo but also uh, the rest of Japan yeah and so there's like six or seven I think and they're incredible yeah you know, we went there twice and it was amazing yeah um I, but I do think because there's so much on offer, yeah. having little help in terms of like a magazine feature or uh, going online, finding something yeah. really And helps. you had recommend, you, you got recommendations through did, like yeah. Instagram and on your blog and yeah, stuff Yeah, Instagram well. is interesting because everyone really wants to give you a recommendation. So you have to kind of sift out... Sift out the, the, the ones that, kind of yeah. touristy things. Because yeah. a lot of people are so wanting to help, which is really wonderful. Yeah. They will give you the same kind of... Ten place places that, that everybody, everybody else goes to, yeah. which aren't necessarily bad, but some of them yeah. are a bit, you know, touristy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Instagram was a big help on this trip just because yeah. it was hard. <laughs> it was really hard. And, and when you were there, I think one of the recipes you've written for us in the feature was was inspired by yes. the fact that you said everywhere you everywhere. go, matcha is yeah. is king. Well, like it's cliche, but it's true. Yeah, like, they love matcha baking. Like it's everywhere. <laughs> Yeah. And one of the places we went, well, every place we went, all the department stores had a stand that would specialise in matcha yeah. sweets. And every single one of them had like a matcha roulade kind of Swiss roll kind yeah. of thing. And they all looked super simple, but because they were so perfect, they looked really, really elegant. Yeah. And I, I love matcha as a baking ingredient. I think it works so well. Um, and it's so quite it's because you use the matcha powder, you don't have to you? Use a really, we don't have to use a really good matcha powder. But you, you should have to use. Matcha, I mean, you might as well tea. get a decent quality matcha. Well, but you get. But I think you get a lot from it. Yeah, you don't, don't yeah, much. exactly. Um, but there is a massive difference in price. So, like, I buy my matcha here from the Japan Center, which is an amazing Japanese kind of supermarket yeah. in central London. And you can spend anything from like five pounds to fifty pounds wow, on matcha really? for the same kind of amount. So I always say, mm. you're not necessarily buying the cheapest because you won't get the colour and the intensity yeah. of flavour, but you're definitely not buying the most expensive for bacon because it's a waste of money. Yeah. So it's kind of finding that sweet spot. So in some ways, it's like, spend what you want. Yeah. You know? um, but also, you will really get that colour. Um, but it was just amazing because everywhere went, same recipe. So when we decided on this mm. one, my first thoughts went straight to matcha and white chocolate. Yeah. It's one of the pairings I use a lot, but it works so well. And I think it, it's interesting because um, our editor, Laura, hi, Laura. <laughs> she's a bit of a, you know, allergic to matcha, yeah, doesn't really like that, it. Yeah. But um, So we were a bit resistant, but then we were like, oh, you know, let's, it's not going to give us something horrible. And uh, I think everyone in the shoot was, the, because the sweetness of the white chocolate yeah, and the really kind helps. of almost savouriness of the matcha, yeah. like sort of balance each other out completely. Well, I think that's the issue with matcha is that as much as I love it, it has this really earthy, grassy yeah, flavour. Yeah, earthy. And if you don't balance it out right, yeah. it, a lot of people wouldn't like it. And that's the reason they'll tell you they don't like it. But actually, white chocolate pairs with it so nicely because it adds a bit of sweetness, it adds creaminess. Yeah. And it kind of cuts off that top edge that people don't yeah. really like, but that allows the really nice flavour of matcha to go mm. through it. 
So I've been using matcha and white chocolate for years and years and years. I remember my first ever demo uh, that I did at like a food festival was a, a white chocolate matcha layered mousse thing. And it was a complete disaster. <laughs> but it's just something I've used for years yeah. because it really, really works. And so when I saw these cakes, um, the uh, Japanese don't need as much kind of white chocolate or sweetness right. as we do sweetness. to take away that flavor because they really like it. Yeah. But I thought for us, that would work really yeah. well just to kind of make it the... And it's actually not that sweet of a recipe so still. The cake, because the cake's kind of like a... It's a roulade, isn't it? So oh, it's, it's, yeah, and it's like a whisk, whisk sponge. Kind of and then very low fat. I can't yeah. remember if there's actually any fat in it at all. It might be a complete fat-free one. Yeah. But regardless, it has a tiny amount of um, fat in it so that it has a little bit of tenderness but it just so it has that really, really nice texture. it looks so impressive. And I mean, it's quite a simple thing to put together, isn't oh, it? Oh, it uses one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine ingredients. Yeah. Uh, which I know sounds a lot now that I've counted them, but, but it's, but it's a basics. And you're going to, you, you know, it's can't flour, make a cake with two sugar. ingredients. No, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, this one actually, yeah, it is fat-free. Mm. Um, and it is literally whisk up the eggs with the sugar and then fold through some corn flour, flour so it's and like milk. It's like posh Swiss roll, Yeah, basically. totally. Yeah. This is just a Swiss roll your mum wouldn't recognise. Yeah. And what about... Oh, why is it um, green? <laughs> Because we were talking about New York, so you did these um, snack cakes, we've called them, which were actually based on a <coughs> thing called <laughs> ringdings. Legal department said no. <laughs> um, so yeah, these were. this was actually Laura's kind of influence. So obviously Laura, the editor of the magazine, she had been on a trip to New York and there, there was... Um, it was not a trend because there's only one place making mm-hmm. them, but they started kind of reinventing this really old-fashioned snack cake. Yeah. So if you think of like the... Um, it's like a wagon, not like a wagon wheel, but yeah, it comes in of. the same packaging, it's doesn't same it? Kind it's of it's style. like individually packaged. Yeah, little cake, round cakes. A little round cakes yeah, with yeah. filling covered in covered a chocolate in, shell. Yes. So and then you really just kind simple. of... yeah. But there's a bakery in New York that's kind of not reinventing them but like modernising them modernising them and yeah. they're kind of garish and colourful and yeah. you know whatever but um, Laura had a chocolate and peanut butter one and she's like oh my god it's amazing yeah. so we tried to replicate it minus square <laughs> and that's purely because we didn't want wasted so you could use yeah, the whole yeah we decided didn't we that yeah. round ones would look really pretty but you they would end up really with all your pretty, cake off cuts a lot of off cuts <laughs> um, so yeah these are square and they're quite big in the end yeah. so we do say that it's probably best to share them yeah I think it's a, a thousand tap. calories per cake it better not be is it yeah Oh, not again. Is it? Oh, we don't no, mind. it is. Oh, no, it's not. It's only 500. Oh, that's half a cake. <laughs> so I remember. There was, it strikes again. Oh, no, there was a recipe that I did for um, Good Food years ago. And all the comments on the website are, oh, it looks amazing, but I'm not making it. It's a thousand calories a slice. And that's purely because we got the portion size wrong. Yeah. This one's right. And it's still a thousand. So yeah, eat but half no, of them. I mean, they, because we used, a, we used a big cake tin and we cut yeah. it into nine because you want to yeah. cover the... The, each little square in chocolate but then when we looked at the size of the cakes we were like yeah I reckon yeah. one cake you know you share it between two it's quite two. a bit yeah but also because um, you have to coat them in the chocolate you are using more chocolate than you actually eat because yeah. there will be some wastage in yeah, that because yeah, you're yeah. glazing so yeah. you know ignore those calorie counts yeah. it's Don't, like 200 yeah, calories exactly. per half yeah yeah um, so that was a New York one and I, one and I York guess ones, the yeah. kind of Paris influence is probably your passion fruit layer cake the, the cup yeah, of star isn't it kind of, um, it's, yeah it's that's kind of patisserie technique yeah because you're using in very thin layers of chocolate yeah. cake and then you've got like a ganache in between yeah, and you've got a it's curd. Def- it's definitely what you'd call like an entremet. So it's definitely that French style of like mousse cake. Yeah. But this is not technically a mousse. So it's mm. slightly easier, no gelatin, nothing like that. Um, so it's kind of uh, kind of my idea of French baking here is where I simplify it and make it a little bit more approachable. Yeah. Not saying this cake is simple. 
Um, it's I think definitely it's, trickier, but it's simpler than it could be. But I think sure. with, with everything, because I did it whenever I, I, once a year, I embark on a big baking project for my niece <laughs> to make her a birthday cake. Nice. And I, I always give myself two or three days yeah, to put yeah, it yeah. together. So if there's elements to be brought together, yeah. don't try and do it all in two hours, because, no, you know, no. it's best to kind of, I think it's best to just stagger it and give yourself time to do it. And well, then. The good thing with this one is you really can do that, because yeah, you can do um, it, yeah. it uses a chocolate cake, which you can make and freeze. It makes it use a passion fruit custard that you can chill in the fridge for yeah. days in advance. Um, and then the ganache and the glaze you have to do at the time, but yeah. it's not complicated. It just takes a bit of time and effort, but it's well, well worth yeah. it for sure. Because we were talking before, weren't we, about like, you know, best best practice with chocolate. Yes. And we, um, you, you, I don't know if anyone's seen the issue, the glaze on the cake is so beautiful and shiny. <laughs> That's what all the comments were when yeah. I posted it. Oh my shiny, God, look at that shine. Like shine. Um, um, but there is a reason for that. So in the, um, the glaze, we use um, some golden syrup or honey. Uh, and it's not right. loads, but it just adds a little bit that of shine. That adds shine to it, doesn't um, it? But obviously, the, you know, being completely honest, that cake was shot not long after it was glazed. So it was at its best. Yeah. It will slightly lose it over time, but it will have a kind of nice gloss yeah. to it. Um, and that's because it's quite a thin ganache, which already yeah. means it's quite shiny anyway. And adding that little bit of golden syrup just amps up the uh, the glaze yeah. without making it like a really complicated yeah. mirror glaze. It is just a, basically a fancy ganache. And the reason you had it in the freezer when you when you dropped it <laughs> was because I mean that that's quite a nice technique, isn't it? That I've yeah. seen um, you use on a, on a few cakes. Yeah, where... it gives you a better finish. So basically, what you do is if you um, glaze a cake like that. So this cake is like fully covered in like a glaze from yeah. top to bottom. If you do that with a cake that's room temperature, it will run off a lot more. So you have to thicken up the ganache a lot more so it clings. Whereas if you freeze the cake and it's kind of got a crumb coat on it, um, when you pour the glaze on it, it clings to it a lot better. So A, you can use a thinner glaze, but also it means because you it just almost get a nicer finish. sets up quite sets up much quicker. Well. Yeah. Can you explain what a crumb coat is, just for people that uh, don't know? So that's crumb coating is where you take any sort of layer cake and you put a very thin coating of like frosting or buttercream or uh, ganache and on the outside. it gives you a smooth surface to work with. Totally, it just yeah. locks in all those crumbs yeah. so that um, if you're adding buttercream onto the top of it, nothing comes through, no yeah. crumbs show. Or in this case, if you're kind of glazing it, it gives the... That lovely smooth, and it is super. I mean, super smooth. um, The thing on the cover, you can see. (laughs) Um, So let's just because it is the whole feature is about chocolate. Let's just talk about some chocolate Mm -hmm. um, techniques. And so we we were talking about. We've got loads of different types of chocolate in here, yes. percentage-wise. Yeah, so there's white chocolate in this. There's caramelized white yeah. chocolate where we cook it slowly for an hour and turn it into this kind of like almost posh caramel. Yeah. So white chocolate isn't really chocolate, <laughs> is it? <laughs> um, it really does depend on your definition of what chocolate is. Yeah. So I would, I kind of go down the side of saying it is chocolate, but right. it's a different type of chocolate. Okay. So obviously there's no cocoa solids in it. It's just cocoa butter. Yeah. So there's a lot of sugar in white chocolate and it has kind of a, a different taste. And so I do think sometimes people will naturally find it just sweet rather yeah. than flavorful. And so what we do by kind of slowly roasting it in the oven at a low, low temperature is it caramelizes all the milk solids yeah. in the chocolate and it gives it that real caramel yeah. kind of um, so it gives it a more, de leche flavor. And more depth of flavor yeah. to it and, and stops like it being like super salt, sweet and it just is amazing yeah. um, I really like white chocolate anyway because I kind of like the creaminess yeah. you get from it um, and I like the fact that you can add texture and flavour to a recipe without adding a really dominant flavour is white chocolate one of the ones that you should really buy a decent chocolate? Yeah, only because um, you can buy a lot of cheaper white chocolate which has some oil in it. Some oh, oil, so it'll it doesn't work in the same way. When well, you... Yeah, but also there is a lot of 
cheap, nasty white chocolate because, you know, depending on where you get your cocoa butter from. Yeah, because it's, it's a cheap product to make, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. But it's just cheaper than normal chocolate. Yeah. So um, I think it's worth spending the money. Not loads of money because there isn't much choice when it comes to white chocolate, especially in the supermarket. No. Um, but you do want to use a better quality one um, just because some of the ones just taste of sugar. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it is worth trying to buy what a slightly better one. What do you use for yours? Uh, at the moment, I tend to use um, all guitar chocolate from San Francisco um, just because I think range-wise and price-wise, they're in a really sweet I think you can spot. Get, you can get that now, can't they you? They launched over here about a year ago, I think, and they're now in Ocado, Amazon, Lakeland. Because I've used some of M&S, their cho- chocolates and they come in little pellets and yeah, little buttons. In, well, it's so actually like, it's really easy, useful. Because then you don't have to chop no a massive bar of chocolate up. Yeah, um, but yeah, the, the thing that's interesting about them for me, as someone who uses a lot of chocolate, I think I have... 30 kilos in the house at the moment like just, just a small amount just a very small amount under the bed um, they they have a real range of like percentage wise so depending on what you want it for they have yeah. the, the variety but also their price point is better than you'd expect so yeah. if you think of someone like Falrona who's a very high quality chocolate company yeah. it's very expensive super expensive and for like someone like me who is testing recipes all the time it's kind of out of my reach yeah um, you know food writers don't earn a fortune <laughs> um, whereas uh, if you go to the supermarket you're paying uh, £2.20 per 100 grams these days for yeah. like a green and blacks whereas if you're buying in bulk and actually this is the best way for home bakers who really mm. like chocolate is not to go to the supermarket you know buy it by the 500 yeah. gram or the kilo if you're going to um, if you're going to invest in it and do some serious chocolate work then yeah. just go and buy also, some also chocolate bakes. has yeah. a really long shelf life so you yeah. might as well it's much much cheaper yeah. so if you buy say like a kilo of guitar I'm going to get the prices wrong it is actually cheaper than buying 100 gram bars from the supermarket yeah. and the quality is a lot better yeah. but the, some of the supermarkets actually do make a decent dark chocolate now there's yeah. a lot of um, choice so it's hard to find but there are a few that have really upped their game in terms of making their own or you know buying in their own mm. branded chocolate so let's talk about like just in, in really simple terms if I'm making a chocolate sponge yeah. and it and it calls for putting in some melted chocolate and yeah. if I'm making a chocolate ganache yeah. and it calls for melted dark chocolate yeah. can I use a slightly different percentage for that or, or can I use basically do I have to use the super expensive stuff for sure. both so it depends on kind of what you're using it for um, and also it's important to read the recipe so if someone just says dark chocolate yeah it probably doesn't matter or they didn't test it with anything other than 70%. That's probably the go-to. If it has a very specific percentage... Then it's there for a reason. Oh, possibly. It's either there for a reason or it's just the the writer's preference. So um, I tend to put a guideline for my recipes. So I'll say between 65 and 75% because if you choose anything within that area it's not going to drastically change no. the texture no but if you say take one of my recipes say for example the um i'm trying to think of one of the ones the uh, passion fruit cake for example. yeah because you have chocolate in the sponge and that don't yeah. you yeah so if you dramatically change the percentage of that from say i say in the recipe that it, uh, it actually needs to be actually that one's a cocoa oh is it recipe, okay but say a lot of my chocolate cake recipes will have chocolate in it say you change the percentage of that from I don't know, a 65% to a 40%. Yeah. What you're doing is you're removing cocoa solids and upping the um, cocoa butter or sugar. So either... And the cocoa solids are what give it the chocolate flavour. What the chocolate flavour, but also texture. Texture. So you're adding more fat, which means the cake might have a different texture, but also a lot more sugar, so it might be sweeter. So it just depends. I think, I always say that if the chocolate's going in something 
and it is suggested, try and keep within like 10 or so percent yeah. because you're not going to change it drastically. Yeah. But if you're going, if it's going like on something, like as a dip or a drizzle, really doesn't matter at all. Use whatever you want. Yeah. Um, I always say the thing, the most important thing is using a chocolate you really like the taste of. You like the taste of yeah. it because it's it, going to taste like that. In there's the a huge difference in, in flavour between like maybe a 40% that's got a lot more yeah. fat and cocoa well, butter. You, and... Like Bourneville, for example, not to throw them under the bus, but. Um, Bourneville is, I'm going to probably get this a little bit wrong, but I think it's 38% cocoa solids. Mm-hmm. And they call it that a dark chocolate, which is not really, that's technically like milk chocolate range, but yeah. they don't add any uh, milk powder, which is why it's not technically a milk oh, chocolate. Oh, I see, right. But okay. what they do, if you open a bar of Bourneville, it's very dark. Yeah, it's it super dark. It looks really dark. Yeah. And that's because what they do is they over-roast their cocoa so they intensify it to make it really dark and bitter. Yeah. But then they add a lot of sugar, which mm. brings it back. So actually, it's to my mind, it's a really bad idea to use something like that because yeah. it's masking a bad chocolate mm. with a lot of sugar. And also there's a ton of fat in there as well. So mm. it's not the best to use. No. But it's, you know, it's that old-fashioned. Mary Berry still recommends Bonneville for everything. Yeah. And that's just a tradition, <laughs> you know. It is actually, kind of it's a sort of thing, you know, your grandma used to use. Yeah, stork well, it was one of the old whatever. So she, yeah, I think Mary Berry still uses Marge quite a lot. Oh, in she her uses recipes. Stork in a lot of her recipes, yeah. yeah. Because, because back in the day, that yeah. was the thing that you used. And she does think it gives a lighter sponge. Which kind of does. But, but um, because it's got it's water talk. added to it, isn't and it? And because it's a soft fat, so it yeah. never will go firm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think uh, chocolate's a lot to do with taste. But yeah. Also, just kind of use your intuition. If, if it's going into the body of a recipe, kind of the building yeah. block of it, it's more important to try and follow. But if it's going on something, that's purely the writer's preference, taste-wise. Yeah. And just use what you like. And I have no issue with people kind of messing around with recipes. That's no, I think, I think that's the main thing. Like when, you, um, when you're experimenting, when you're cooking you know, get some chocolate, try it if you like yeah. it, cook with it, then try something else and then keep going into like, you, you've landed on something that you really like. Yeah, and I definitely. think it's just, it's personal taste, isn't yeah, it? I think it's a lot to do with personal style. Yeah. Um, I think there's a, a slight ethical point of view as yeah, well. Yeah, we were talking about that you, you know, it, yeah. it has to be fairly traded and that does not... Well, it's, it's that thing of, you know, chocolate has a checkered past and current in some ways and that there's been a lot of issue with child labour and... Yeah unfair trade practices so I think it's important to try and support good chocolate just because the the big big companies have obviously the worst record yeah. and are trying to keep costs down as low as possible whereas if you're buying into a chocolate with a really good and I know this sounds you know super lefty you know commie it's chocolate it's just good but practice isn't it it's really I mean, good practice because chocolate's getting more and more expensive yeah and that's because it's becoming harder and harder to farm yeah and so actually by supporting a good chocolate company so ethic just look for the ethics of the company yeah, like, basically try, I know it's pretentious but read into their ethics just because they're supporting really the industry it's pretentious it's no, just having a bit of a conscience which I think, I think it's really a lot important. of things is, it's really important these days like a, we're, we're all grown ups we can, yeah. we can look into it and we can make our own decisions yeah, yeah. can't we because so. otherwise chocolate will become a pure luxury that no one can afford yeah. and so it's really important to support the people who are doing the yeah. right thing and there's a lot of really good companies doing yeah. it so just have a little have a little look nose around where it's coming from. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one last thing if you're melting your chocolate and it seizes can can you rescue it? no no um, it depends what I've read you're things I've read stuff saying you can put oil in it and then well yeah but then it becomes not chocolate All right. so um, <laughs> it depends what you're using it for so right. if a ganache splits that's super easy that's to cool. rescue oh really uh, yeah if, so if you've if you've added your cream and it splits it's probably because your cream was too hot oh. so you don't really want it at a full rolling bowl you just want it at a simmer because yeah. otherwise if it gets too hot it splits out the fat from the chocolate and yeah. it splits 
but you can add either a little bit of cream, cold cream, into it, oh, stir that and it'll gently bring it back together. together. That can work. Yeah. I find if you're making a decent amount, the best way is to use like a hand blender because it basically is like making mayo. It forces it back into an emulsion. So oh, that yes, you emulsify in the, all the ingredients that's back all you're together. Doing. Yeah. So you just like making a chocolate mayo. Yeah. Sounds gross, but <laughs> technically that's kind of what you do. <laughs> so you're kind of, by adding cream back, you're adding something that helps bring yeah. it back into emulsion. But the hand blender just forces it back in. Yeah. Um, or whisk it really hard. Um, you will thicken it slightly because it will kind of whisk it up. But that's only going to really work if you're if you if you're starting with chocolate and cream. If you if you basically put your chocolate in the microwave, which I which I'm yeah. always because I just haven't got the patience <laughs> to do it over water. Sorry. Um, and then it just burns slightly, and you get you can scrape away. Yeah, burnt chocolate's really hard because it's yeah. disgusting. Yeah. If you split it because you've got a bit of water in it, yeah, it's really hard to rescue it for what you want to use it for. Right. Um, you can actually make a really good chocolate mousse with uh, just water and chocolate. Um, oh, so you just, keep adding, chocolate. you just keep adding yeah. the water to it. So there's and then, things you can oh, do yeah, that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you can't because really it's a rescue liquid. seized chocolate. I think with seized chocolate, it's it's the amount of liquor, isn't it? If you if yeah. you're adding enough liquid, it it's won't seize. But you it's just a, if you you can make an amazing ganache with water, yeah, um, like infused with tea or you know anything like that. But if you add like a few drops of it to chocolate, it will it will seize, seize and go lumpy, because it's so. not enough for it. It's no, no, kind exactly. Of, yeah. So yeah. it's it's effectively what you're using it for. If yeah. you're using it for a ganache, then just add more water or liquid. But yeah. if it's seized and it's like just melted chocolate to go into a cake, you're screwed. So start again. Just suck it up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thanks so much for talking to us today, My Ed. Um, beautiful recipes in the February Thank issue you. out right now. Yeah. And I think we've got a couple of them up online, which you've been yes, kindly posting about on Instagram. The loaf cake is online. Yeah. I think the... There's two up online, I think. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the tart, yeah. which is amazing. It's a oh, caramel nut tart with a coffee so ganache. Good. It's so rich. So I don't look at the colour count of that either. <laughs> go to olivemagazine.com Mag- Olive to check them out and um, follow Ed on at the boy who bakes to see amazing, beautiful <laughs> pictures of food hungry. every single day. But, um, to break your diet. Yeah. Thanks for joining no us, Ed. Worries. That was this week's Olive Magazine podcast. If you like this episode, please head over to iTunes and leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. For more information on things in this episode, you can visit our website, olivemagazine.com. You can pick up a copy of our new February issue now or go and download the app version. Bye for now and we'll be back next week with more food and drink chat.